Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Times Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Safranis, and today I'm on with Kathy McPhillips. Kathy, would you like to introduce yourself? Certainly. Um, my name is Kathy McPhillips, and I am the Chief Growth Officer at the Marketing Artificial Intelligence Institute. And I've been there about coming on 13 months, 13 or 14 months, and it's been a learning experience and a very exciting journey. Yeah, tell me about what your company does. So we're, we're a media and education and events company focused on helping marketers realize the value of AI and the technologies that they use and how this AI term really isn't as scary as it sounds, or it's not going to take away their jobs, but in actuality, it can help them do things that are more, that are human, that a machine is not going to take over, like creativity and strategy and culture. So we can actually do the things we in our jobs that we love and automate and make some of the other things more intelligent and get those off of our plate. So I've learned a lot. It's really interesting. And I've been implementing some of the things myself just so I can practice what I preach. Um, it's been fun. Before we continue, here's a quick word from our sponsor at Verity. Are you still measuring the success of your campaigns by guesswork and estimation? Still sticking your finger in the air to decide which campaign to spend your budget on? Well, it doesn't need to be this way. Adverity is the marketing data analytics platform that lets you easily combine and analyze data from across multiple channels so that you can get a full understanding of how each is performing. What's more, the advanced analytics module will give you a predictive analytics insight into how best to adjust your campaign spend based on the best ROI. Go to info.adverity.com mxa for a free demo. That's again, info.adverity.com slash MXA for a free demo. And now back to the podcast. What would you say is the biggest skills gap related to um, artificial intelligence or data science right now in the job market? As far as what, how it could help marketers? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the answer, it depends, is always such a, you know, you don't want to hear that, but it really does depend. You know, I think there is, there's a few ways to look at it, you know, whether it's something that you don't have someone who can do that particular job, maybe it's analytics, or you don't have a role that's filled, or maybe you just don't have time. You know, I think one of the things that I've realized is that as the person heading up growth and marketing for our company, I am editing videos, I'm writing copy, I'm doing analytics, I'm writing, scheduling emails, I'm writing content. There's so many different things. So I'm taking, okay, what what takes the most amount of my time that I really just don't love doing, but it's necessary and it needs to be done. And one example of that is some of our social media. And I'm writing copy for our event, for example, and it's a time suck, you know? And one of the things I did, I used this tool called copy.ai. And I'm like, I'm just going to test this out and see if this actually is is legit. So I typed in 100 words of copy. I typed in the URL of the uh, the event, and I hit enter, and magically, 10 pages of copy points spit out from this AI-powered tool, and it's it was good. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. You know, and I thought, once I went through it, I tweaked some things, and, but it was, it gave me a really, really strong starting point 
for one. And two, it talked about our event in a way that I hadn't. And I'm like, I wonder which, if what I'm saying to our customers versus what this technology is giving me, I wonder if theirs might resonate more with our customers. So I've been doing some A-B testing just to see, is this, this is, this is amazing. You know, so it's giving me a new way to look at, at, look at things. And I really have been trying very consciously to take the hours that I've saved using that tool to pick up the phone and talk to our customers, spend more time with our team and doing things like I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste those few hours I just saved. I want to make sure that I'm really actually using it the right way. That makes sense. I want to ask about how you built your current skill set as a leader. What was your career path and what skills did you build along the way? So I was a journalism major at Ohio University in Ohio, in Athens, Ohio, and I knew I wanted to write in some capacity, but I really love I really love math. So you know, I talked to my guidance counselor and said, "Well, I don't know what I should do." And she's, you know, and we talked about different things in advertising and marketing that might just be a real nice place for me to use both both of my skills. And I started out in advertising at a few agencies in Cleveland in media planning. So I was number crunching, spending clients' money for them in a very strategic and thoughtful way. And then about 18 months into my second agency I was working at, I needed, I had a family situation that brought me home and I had to quit my job. And um, I it was very torn because I really loved my job and I wanted to stay there, but family first. And next thing you know, clients are calling me saying, will you do your, will you do this work for me for home? And I was like, oh my gosh, I actually might be able to do something because I really loved what I did, but my family is much more important. So I slowly started to build up this clientele doing some of this stuff from home. So I was home for about 10 years building my own business and being a business owner, I was reading articles, I was following other people, I was jumping on social before you know the masses were on social and I was just absorbing all of it that I could. So I kind of just built, built my skill set with trial and error and learning from other people. So it went really from, you know, writing and then my media planning. And then I learned just other things as I was going along. I think that's also the past two companies I've worked at. Our teams have been so lean that you just have to learn it. So it's, it's been, uh, it's been fun to, to try some new things and surround myself with people that could teach me some of those things and just going in and just doing it myself. Like analytics, I basically learned on my own and with some coworkers because, you know, I started my career that when I started my career, the internet wasn't really a thing. So um, it's been fun to every job that I've had. And I haven't had that many. I've, I'm, I really am a lifer at most of the jobs I've been at, but uh, just learning things um, as the industry has just evolved. How have you balanced um, family and business? You know, I do look back on when my kids were little and they're, they're grown adults now and out of the house. But when I was, I do look back and think, how in the world did I do that? And I did. And thankfully I've got a very supportive um, husband who, you know, when my kids were little and I had to work at night because I was doing something with them during the day, it's just, we kind of just got through it and that's what we did. Um, but I, when I'm working, I'm all in, when I'm with my kids, I'm all in. And I think that's been um, real, a real good mentality that just like put my phone away, put my computer away. Um, and that's, like blue sky, you know, I know there are certainly have been times when I, uh, I can't do that, but, uh, most of the time I do. And, um, I really love what I do, which also makes it, 
interesting that I really do enjoy working and I enjoy, especially like I mentioned, just the learning aspect that I'm constantly learning. So I am reading a lot of things and doing a lot of things that I know I can apply to my job or I'm out and I see something. I'm like, oh, that's actually a really cool marketing idea. I should do that. And I'll jot it down. And my brain just doesn't really ever shut off. Um, but I think just, you know, making the best of the situation where I am and being all in whatever I'm doing has been really, really important to me. You seem like somebody who guards their energy closely. Is that true? I do. I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good question. I do. Cool. Yeah, me too. It's, it's important to stick to the things that are fulfilling Um, I actually just started, I'm out, um, people in my town laugh because I'm out walking five miles pretty much every single day, unless it's icy or a torrential downpour, I'm out walking. And I used to take phone calls in that time and just chit chat with friends and just, you know, I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have one hour to walk. I'm going to go catch up with some folks. And about two years ago, I said, that is not, I'm not coming back rested, um, or, I don't feel re-energized because I've been trying to do too many things at one time. And I've made a conscious effort to when I have that hour to myself, that it's really to myself. I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to music or I'm listening to nothing. Sometimes I just have my headphones in and don't even listen to anything and just like enjoy the quiet. And since I've done that, to your point, it really has made a big difference in how refreshed I feel when I get back. So then I feel like, okay, now I can actually go jump into something new because I had that moment to myself. Yeah, I, I, I understand that feeling. Um, I want to ask about how you learned, uh, how you learn about the tech world. So what do you read? Um, where do you get your information? Um, I do subscribe to way too many emails, but I do love getting them. Um, I did build a list in Twitter where I follow all of those publications, a lot of all of those folks that I, you know, admire and I learn from and I listen to just so I have that aggregate every morning of here's everything coming from those sources and I can quickly go through things. But I think one thing that I, and I think everyone does that to a degree, you know, you know who you want to follow, you know, the big names in the industry, but where I think I've learned the most from and whether it's at attending an event or reading an article about someone, it's finding the folks that are doing the work, not necessarily the ones that can talk about it. So it's a marketer at a certain brand or it's the meet the coordinator who is entry level, who's been at the job for a year, but has these amazing ideas. And it's finding the practitioners who really get in the weeds on stuff. And that I think that's where I learn the most from because they're breaking down saying, here was my problem. Here's what I did. And here was my, here were my results. And when you see that tangible thing, I think to myself, I could do that. And I think it's really, you know, I love following the big names. You know, I learn from them all the time. I get inspiration. I get new ideas. I get just the excitement to go to my job. But the people that are doing the work are the ones I really probably learn the most from. Very interesting. Um, I want to ask about this uh, formula that we talked about in our previous call uh, for creating a campaign or a product. And, um, well, do you want to, do you want to give an overview of what that formula is and the value? Sure. I'll, I'll give you an example. We, um, our CEO, Paul Reitzer, his book is coming out on, uh, in June of 2022. So in just in a couple of weeks. And one thing interesting is that when I first started, like I said, a year ago, 
his agency, PR 2020 at the time, they've rebranded, are now Ready North. But they had this formula they use. And when I first saw it, I was like, this just seems like a lot of extra work. But what it is, is say we're doing this book launch. So the book launch is in a few weeks. And we write down all the things that might go into a book launch campaign. It is reaching out to influencers, mailing bulk copies to a certain place, down to drafting social media, creating some images, and everything in between. And the list, you know, you start writing down all the things you know you have to do. And then you write down the things that would be like blue sky. Like let's have a launch party at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and do X, Y, and Z. So it can be very, very, you know, all the minutia up to some bigger ideas. And then everyone, you know, we take a step back and we look at that and we put in two columns into a spreadsheet. One column is ability to execute. And one column is impact probability rating. And so this is not my idea, just to be clear, just to be clear, but I do use this all the time now, but what that, so then you rank, you go through line by line and you say, how hard is it to do? So that's your one to five in your ability to execute column. And then what, will it make a difference? Will it make the impact we need it to make again, one through five, and then you sort it. And then the things that surface to the top are the things that are going to be the fastest to implement will make the biggest impact. And it takes those 9,100 things that you could be doing for this book launch and says, okay, if our, you know, our team hours is, we have this many hours in the next few weeks and we have, you know, X, Y, and Z also going on at the same time. So really we only have this much time to do it. What are the things that are going to make the biggest impact and, how, and let's start on those first because as you know, you know, marketing your business and doing all these different things, there's just not enough time to get it all done. And it really just helps you take the emotion out of, oh, what I really wanted to spend some time doing this, but if it's not going to make a difference, let's focus on something that will. So we've been doing that, you know, from our event that's coming up for the book launch, for anything that we're doing. We even did it for um, some new classes we're looking at for our AI Academy for Marketers. So it does, we call these our mini hackathons and they take anywhere from a half a day up to a couple days, depending on uh, how, what we're, you know, what the scope of the project is. And it really has changed my, my outlook on, on how we do that. And then once we get this all done, we then break it down even a little bit more and say, what does that task include? Who's responsible? Let's make a due date. Let's, we can throw it into a Gantt chart and then we upload that whole entire list into Asana and our whole building, our whole campaign is built out in Asana based on that exercise. So now we live by, so now we live by our project management system and we know here's what's coming up next. And it just kind of keeps us on task to do all the things that we, that are most important to our business. Yeah, that makes sense. And that sounds like something that somebody could even implement in their personal life. Um, it does, it does, it sounds like it doesn't even have to be um, necessarily for a product that, you know, for, for the audience of a business, but maybe if I have some personal, uh, business ideas or product ideas, I could probably still, uh, plot out those ideas in this way. I've never thought about that, but I have like lists of lists of things I have to do or, you know, around the house <laughs> or personally, or I think that's a great idea. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I like the uh, concept of thinking about your your own life as a business and trying to organize it. Um, I, I just I'm kind of an entrepreneurial nerd, uh, so I, I like to do it that way. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, most most people probably don't, to be fair. um i want to ask about the state of ai the current state of ai in marketing and how you think it will evolve in the future so we just actually put out a report a few weeks ago called ai for cmos and we have one coming up calling the state of marketing ai and from a marketing perspective is what i could which is what i could speak to the most i think it's real interesting to see so in 2019 Macon, which is the marketing AI conference that our that our company puts on, I went to that as an attendee. And in 2019, even though there had been many advancements at that point, it was very much here's what's coming up in the future. Here's what you need to look for. Here's what you need to consider. And it, there were obviously some other there were some technologies that were uh, doing great at that point, but they're constantly evolving. I know the past 24 months has accelerated so many digital transformations. Um, but between 2019 and then now me working for the company in 2022, what I've seen is it's not so much when the technology comes or when these technologies adapt, it's, oh, they're here. So it's really finding the tools to to help you do your job better and smarter and can learn, the technology can learn as you're learning. So to answer your question about where I see the state of marketing AI, I think the biggest challenge I think we're I think we're just starting to scratch the surface to base to answer your question. But I think part of that is because marketers need some training on what to look for, how to start the process, and what it means for them and their roles. You know, it's not gonna take away your job. It might evolve your job, but it's not going to take away your job. AI could be something as simple as like I said, writing some copy points for you. It doesn't need to be something huge. It should just take some small use cases. So I think if we can get marketers to understand that side of things versus you need to blow up your entire MarTech stack and implement everything with AI, that's just unrealistic right now for most companies. But it's starting to get marketers to understand it can, at this point, maybe save you a few hours of your day or if you're doing a big SEO audit of your website or you want to you know create your content marketing plan and your editorial calendar loop you know loop in some AI powered SEO tools like a market muse that can help you do that for you and do that with you i guess it would be a better better way to put it um, so i think it's just trying to get like i said marketers to really just jump in you know and one of the things we do at the institute is we have this intro to AI class, intro to AI for marketers, and we run it every two weeks. And so far, about 5,000 marketers have come to it. It's been pretty amazing to see the, um, the excitement. And we just say, basically, for 30 minutes, come in and listen. And we're going to talk about, here's what AI is, here's what it means for marketers, and here's a couple things you can do if you want. So some marketers have come to it. We've never heard from them again. Some have said, I'm going to follow you on social media, join your Slack group. I'm interested in learning more. And some have said, oh my gosh, I need this right this second. I'm coming to your event. I'm doing X I and mean, I'm doing these couple things. So, but if they leave there at least saying, I have a better concept of what this means for me and for my future, that's really the best thing. You know, just getting marketers to understand that there is this technology there that to help you. Can you share any practical examples of using AI in marketing? 
Sure. One real good example that I like to tell because I did it, I, I'm doing it right now is so when I started at the Institute, we were working on a webinar. And at the beginning of the webinar, you know, the host and the guest are chit chatting. And then once it starts, okay, we're going to get started. And that's the point you want the video to start. So, you know, if for your, for our on demand. So I went to Paul and I said, okay, who edits the videos? <laughs> he said, you do. I'm like, perfect. Don't know how to edit videos. So he said, we'll go into this one tool and it's called Descript. And I uploaded the video into Descript and then instantly it transcribed the video. And I waited and I was like, okay, so I still don't want to do it. So I'm, you know, giving my dual monitors, I'm Googling, how do you do this in Descript? And basically I deleted the words from the transcript that I didn't want in the video and it edited the video. It just chopped off the words I didn't want. And that's AI understanding what the person is saying. And then it, you know, can then cut the video. So that's a very small example of it, but a very, very powerful example of it. So it that was, you know, I, and then I was like, okay, so then I have my transcript. I've got the edited video. I export that. I export the, the transcript into a Word doc. I can then upload that into YouTube. And then the AI power of YouTube is that I could then take that transcript, the text, put it into YouTube and YouTube understands the text versus the voice and will match it up precisely. I've never had an issue where I've had to change anything. So you, so the AI in YouTube is understanding the voice, the audio and the text and pairing it up together. So again, two kind of small things when it comes to an AI perspective, but two very, very powerful and enormously time-saving tasks for me. So that's one that I love. Um, we, we've started blog posts using um, one tool called HyperWrite where it helped us build an outline for what we wanted to write. We've done summer, summarizations of posts. So we have that for um, some metadata and things like that. And it's just interesting to see, you know, if there's ever something I'm, I'm need, needing, I'm like, I wonder if there's an AI tool that could help me do that. And that's kind of where my mind has turned where before I would just do it, you know? Um, and some things have just obviously been sped up, but I think have become sharper and crisper and just because I have technology that's using the data that they understand and helping me produce better work. Okay, there's one thing. We also are doing some lead scoring with the help of AI. And we look at data in our database as far as when it comes to our event. Say we were, we're looking at who... Who are some of our high-end folks in our database? So we, we can assign scores to attending a webinar, uh, opening an email, any any action they might take that are, we have data on. And then it says, okay, here's your high intent list. Here's your low intent list. There was actually a time a few weeks ago that I was looking at both of those lists. And we said, we're going to focus on the high intent. And then if we have time, we'll get to the low intent list. And I went through the low intent list. And there was someone on there that I know if I pick up the phone and called them and said, are you interested in our event? They would say yes. So it does still take a human in, you know, in the loop to say, we need to make sure this data is actually okay, that it's ethical, that it's right, that it's not just taking all this data at face value and saying, okay, the computer told me it was, um, it was accurate because it's not always the case that the computer and the data, the computer is only able to learn from the data that it has. So 
we need to be able to make sure that we're going in and, and making sure that things are okay, things are right. That's very interesting. So how do you see the uh, shift in work uh, in the future due to AI? And you kind of talked about it in the beginning, um, about assisting uh, the workload, and you're kind of describing some examples of that. So how do you see the impact uh, playing out in the job market? You know, I think there are some things I was reading something yesterday, and it's escaping me who it was, but they were talking about how a computer has an ability to read, comprehend, um, and then analyze tens of thousands of pieces of content in a very short time, something a human will never, ever, ever be able to do at that speed. And that's a really useful thing for a marketer. Um, but there are also things like, so one of the things Paul talks about in his intro to AI class is this marketer plus plus machine scale. And a one is a marketer is doing 100% of the work. A four is a marketer is doing 0% of the work and the machine's doing 100%. Then there's that two and that three where it's, you no, know, the two would be mostly marketer, a little bit of machine. Um, and then three would be the opposite, a little bit, of, little bit of marketer, a lot of machine. And most AI technologies right now are in that zero and one. And he says, anyone that says that they're a four, they're lying. They're lying or they don't understand their own technology. There is nothing right now that a, that a machine is doing 100% of the task. I mean, even look at like a Tesla. The car still needs, there still needs to be a driver of the car, even if the car is try, you know, trying to do as much of the work as possible. Um, so... I think, you know, most of the technologies out there are still in the one and the two. So right now it's use the technology to help you in some other ways, but use the, use the computer that is constantly learning by the data you're inputting in it to help you do some things like, like I said, analyzing sentiment or um, other things in your data, other things in your content that just you'd never find because you just don't have the time. So maybe for a content creator, what would happen is they would have more time to think of new ideas and take on new projects because the depth they would have to go for any individual project would would be a lot less. The AI would take care of a lot of the development of the creative work. Yes. And I also think, you know, say you had 10 ideas, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. We have I write a blog post, but I don't know if it's, you know, I... I either kind of inherently know that it, our audience would would like it, or we've watched some trends in Google Analytics to see this type of content resonates. But in actuality, is that the content that is converting someone to take an action, which also doesn't always need to be the case. You do want to create content um, to get them just to you know keep reading or to take another action with you. It doesn't always need to be they're converting to a paid something. But say you have 10 ideas, you might think you know what the number one is, but now, if you have data and you have an AI tool that's helping you analyze it, it might completely rejigger those 10 things and shift them around in a way you didn't think that was actually um, what what you thought was going to be the most the post that was going to resonate the most. But this data is showing you that it is. However, <laughs> however, if you know what you want your first one, you know, your first post to be because you know that this is a need right now, you don't have to listen to the computer all the time. But it is telling you from a data perspective, here's here's what I'm seeing. And then that's where the human is saying, oh, okay, now I'm going to decide what I'm going to do based on what, what the output is from the computer. Let me ask about your 
personal career path and how you expected your career to go versus how that expectation changed over time? Well, I never thought that I'd be working from home and I've been working from home for 22 years. And actually in the past year, uh, there is an office for the Marketing AI Institute downtown. So a couple of days a week I'm going in, which I didn't know if I'd actually like because it had been so long since I worked from home. But it is nice to, <laughs> to get out of my house and sit with people. And a lot of really organic and awesome strategy sessions have just been built because we're all in a room together. But I jumped ahead. So going back, you know, I really didn't know um, what I really wanted to do. I know I knew I wanted to be in marketing. I knew I wanted to you know, be downtown and be at an agency. And I did that. I didn't expect my life to take a turn when I was, you know, young, when basically I, my son was, had some respiratory stuff. He couldn't be in daycare. If you just, anytime a cold went through there, he was just got real sick. So he just needed to be out of that environment. Um, even though I loved him being there. So I didn't think I'd ever be home, um, with my kids, best decision of my life. Um, but I also didn't think that I'd ever start my own business. And it got to a point, um, so I did that from 1999 through 2012. And then I was pretty active on social at that point. And I was following this man named Joe Polizzi, and he's the founder of the Content Marketing Institute, which is also here in Cleveland. And one day he called me and he said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm looking for someone to head up marketing. At that point, I had kind of been writing my own schedule, doing my own thing with my family. And I said, sure, um, you know, I'll meet you. Let's meet for breakfast. It'll be interesting to hear what you're doing because they're, they're an up and coming Cleveland company. And I would just love to, to know more. And it turned, so then I ended up quitting. I ended up stopping my having my own business. I started working for Joe and Pam and his company. And uh, that was amazing. You know, I went from doing a lot of restaurant marketing work in my agency life. And then in my, when I had my own business, and then I completely shifted gears and went into content marketing and uh, events. So one of the reasons I met the company I'm at now, aside from the AI, and you know, that's the next thing, and I'm excited to be part of that next thing, is that they have an event too. So now I love marketing events. So if you look back, you know, when I was in college, I never thought I would be in event, in event marketing. So it kind of has followed a pretty straight path, but it also has had a few tangents here and there. And um it's interesting to say, you know, people are like, oh, you're an expert in event marketing. I'm like, am I? I mean, I just, I just like doing it. I've been doing it for a long time. So I guess if that's what, you know, I know, I know a lot and I've learned a lot. I have a lot of uh, interesting stories to share, but um, it's, it's been fun to find those niches of within the marketing industry of different, you know, like I said, restaurants and then events and um, now the world of artificial intelligence. So I want to ask about uh, the entrepreneurial side. Um, do you have any general entrepreneurship advice that maybe has impacted you? Yeah, I, you know, so when obviously when I was by myself working, I was just me. And then when I started working with Joe at CMI, it, there were 20 ish of us. And now there's five of us at the Marketing AI Institute. And I love, I love small and scrappy. So that's been where I, what I find most fulfilling is helping create something, helping build something and helping build a community. And I think one of the reasons that, well, I know the, probably the biggest reason that C, both CMI and the Marketing A Institute are successful are because the owners and the team members have built an audience. They've built a community of folks who 
like them, trust them, understand them. And I think that, you know, when Paul started the Marketing AI Institute after owning an agency for a long time, a lot of people jumped on board because they said, we, you know, we've been following you for, you know, for 10 years or whatever length of time. And everything you're doing is very thought out and planned. And you have a vision for what is coming up. And I think that's real important to, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, is start creating that community, start creating that network. Because when you're ready to take that next step, or you're ready to shift gears or start a new product or start a new company, you already have people who who understand you and, and know and believe in what you're doing. Um, and I think that's a big thing about me personally is, you know, I've been calling some friends and calling some industry peers about our company and our, our event coming up. And I think one person kind of summed it up pretty nicely. She said, this would never be in my radar at all, but I know you, I know you, um, wouldn't give me bad <laughs> you wouldn't steer me the wrong way just for the sake of me purchasing a ticket. So I think just building that trust with folks um, and then networking, you know, I'm, I try so hard, uh, you know, to meet with people and obviously that's just getting back, you know, ramping back up a little bit and it's been a lot of zooms and phone calls, but spending time meeting people in your industry, in your town, helping out people um, without expecting something in return. But when you do need something, they're going to be the ones that are going to, to jump in and help you. Um, I think just being true to your true to yourself and true to, uh, you know, not not doing anything negative that will um, just for growing your business. If you had to choose in order uh, to either build an audience first and then build a product, or build a product first and then grow an audience, which one would you pick? Oh, 100,000% build your audience first. Build your network, build your community. Um, you know, my sister's a good example. She owns uh, an online store of Cleveland apparel. And for years, she had started building up this niche of being someone in Cleveland that people looked to for restaurant advice or for um, des design advice and things like that. And when she started this clothing line based on a lot of the things that, you know, she, she has this look, she has this feel, you know, people know this about her. And when she started this clothing line, people are buying, we don't need more sweatshirts in our lives. We have, you know, <laughs> I don't at least, but people, because they like her and they support her, her business is thriving. If she would have just started a, a Cleveland clothing company, a Cleveland, there actually is a company called the Cleveland clothing company. But if she started just a, a line of Cleveland sweatshirts without having any type, without having an audience, I don't think it would have succeeded. You know, there, there are so many businesses out there already that are doing similar things to you. Um, not the exact same thing, but similar things. So I think it's very, very important to build that network and that trust beforehand. And on the um, on the other side, for somebody who's trying to join a business, what advice do you have uh, for interviewing, how to make connections, how to find different roles, anything in that area? Yeah, so I'm doing that with my daughter right now. She just got her first internship. So it was a couple months of you know her asking me a lot of these same questions. So 
you know, connecting with folks on social is very easy right now. You know, if you're looking at certain companies, follow them on LinkedIn, connect with some of the the senior leaders on the team on LinkedIn, follow what they're doing, just immerse yourself in, especially if you know where you want to work. You know, my niece actually just got a job at Sherwin Williams here in Cleveland. And she knew that that's where she really wanted to, if she had to pick a company, that's where she wanted to go. So my niece spent a very long time, you know, digging through products, digging through their website, reading things, immersing herself in learning and going to an interview. And she was able to rattle off X, Y, and Z about this company. And they were like, oh, you've done your homework. So I think it's real important. There's so many ways to find out information about companies nowadays that it's real easy. You know, we were, um, that just wasn't available when I was out of college. So I think that's really easy to do and important to do. Um, sharing content from those companies, especially like in what I'm doing, you know, I'm connected to a lot of the marketing uh, publications and people and everything like that. So me doing things for them, they get to learn my name. So I think just building up a, a network that way. Um, and finding companies, you know, one of the things I did, this was a long time ago, but you know, I started writing down like, what would be my ideal company? What values do I have? What interests do I have? And do any of those align with, are there any opportunities for me to work at a company that would support any of those things? And sometimes it's no, you know, but a lot of times it's yes. You know, it might whittle down your list of, okay, I want, I want to work in marketing and I want to stay in Cleveland. What are my options? And if you look at that list of here's what my options are, something's going to stick out like, oh, they have very similar values. And now with a lot of brands being, you know, talking more about philanthropy and giving back and things, you, you do, you tend to see uh, some more, some easier connections to brands saying, well, we really are aligned on a lot of our core values. I want to go back to AI for a minute and ask, because you you have a lot of experience in this area, and a lot of people might not know how to feel about advancements in AI, if it's going to be safe, what are the possible risks? So where do you stand on that? And how do you think, you know, the ordinary person should view the risk from AI? So when we have been talking to some companies about, you know, sponsors at our event, or people that are looking to us to say, would you use our technology? Uh, a lot of the questions we ask, you know, are, are do revolve around how are you are using our data? Is it is it safe? You know, is it isolated to us? You know, or are you using our data across your whole entire company to provide better services to all of your customers? One example is a company that they're an AI powered creative company. Um, it's called Seltra. And Seltra, what they do is say uh, I upload, say, say I create a 728 by 90 banner ad for our website for our event. And I need to do a 300 by 100, a 300 by 250. And I have all these sizes I need to do. That's, you know, complete, <laughs> that takes a lot of time to do it. Cause you're moving things around, um, change, moving your logo, adding in new words. If it's a bigger add all those, all these sorts of things. With Seltra, what you do is you upload one image. I don't know if there's a particular size they prefer to start with, but you upload your one image and you go through and you check boxes and say, I would like it resized. Uh, I would like it resized in these sizes. Okay. Hit enter. Boom. It spits out all of the, it does all the versioning for you, which is not, there are other technologies that do that, that are not powered by AI. 
But what Seltra does is if you move your logo, if you change your background color, if all the little tweaks that you make to all of those ads, one, it, it, you know, you make a change and it makes it throughout. But what it does is it learns the, the changes that you make so that next time you go to do like a round two or a different thing within your company, you want to talk, you know, we, if I'm talking about my event, but in a few weeks I want to talk about the book, it learns the things that I like. So the next time I go in, it's going to start with what it thinks I like. So it's learning as I'm making changes. So then eventually, you know, the more every time you're doing something new, it is constantly learning from the things you're making. So my question to Seltra was, are you using, is my data only staying with me or are you taking all of this aggregate data across all of your customers and is the machine learning from everyone? And their answer was, is that right now um, it they're taking all of the data and they're using the learnings for all of their customers. So what it's doing for me, it may, it's learning from other folks as well. However, um, two things. One, what I'm putting in there from a creative standpoint isn't secret. You know, it's, uh, I mean, it's not published ads at that point, but it's not something that I'm worried about someone else seeing. Um, number one. And number two, what they said is that at some point they would like my data to stay confined to my, to my usage. But right now um, they don't have, they're trying to build up their data and they're trying to build up their learning. So the machine is learning, but right now it's just, it's, they're going across all other customers. So that was kind of going to the point of, is my data safe? Do I want my data out there? Um, but I think some questions to ask are things like, who is using my data? Who's seeing my data? Is my data connected to me? Like, or are you decoupling the data? So my name, my thing, you know, my customers are not attached to the eight to the data that you're using across the board. Um, and what I've learned is a lot of the salespeople don't know the answer to a lot of those questions. So if I were going in and evaluating a new technology and I asked some of those questions. I would ask, can I speak to someone on the product team? Because they'll be able to answer my questions. And don't be afraid to do that. You know, don't sign on for something you're not 100% comfortable with. Because if you're not comfortable, either you just need to learn, you need to be educated, or it's not a good fit. You know, if they're not able to answer some of those questions, I probably would just go find somebody else. That makes sense. So it sounds like uh, data privacy is going to be a challenge with future AI opportunities i don't know if it'll be a challenge i just think we just need to make sure as marketers we're asking the right questions to the technology companies and holding them accountable you know um it's i think we have a responsibility as marketers and as humans to make sure that uh we're protecting our customers you know i think that's we've been doing that for a long time but I think with the advent of some AI power technologies, we just need to be a little bit smarter and more aware of what's what's going on. Um, but the ones the ones that we work with, you know, there are some really really good people who want to make sure that this that they want to be leaders in this space, and they want to make sure that responsible AI is at the forefront. Do you have a future AI use that is not currently developed that you're looking forward to? This is a silly one, um, but when I'm using Descript. It always spells my name and I transcribe a video. It always spells my name with a K and it always spells Paul Reitzer's last name wrong. 
but it does it like multiple ways. It might spell it racer, like R-A-C-E-R once, and then another way, another. So if I correct it once, it hasn't learned to correct it other places. Like that would be a really, really good use of AI. Gosh, I don't know. That's a really good question. But I think some of those, like just the in the weeds things that like the AI would really be good if it could do this. Um, but off the top of my head, I don't have a, a good one for the future. Yeah. And so what you were describing there was basically more and more specific contextual based decisions. So it's like right now we have the easy stuff, but then there's all these little edge cases for uh, things that need to be fixed. Like all the interventions that humans need to make could be fixed with a more nuanced uh, and broadly capable AI. Yes. I mean, yeah, and there's still, there are still huge things that are coming down, you know, that, that haven't even been developed yet. But I think that a lot of the ones that are out there right now are constantly being updated are, you know, constantly they're listening, their customers are in their ears saying, you know, if you just did this, this would be amazing. So they're taking those to their product teams and they're coming out with updates and things like that. So I think I'd rather have a technology that doesn't do things like that right now that's working on fixing it versus having them wait until it's perfect because as you know, done is better than perfect. So you have to keep, it's going to keep evolving regardless. So it's helping me, it's helping me in, in huge ways already. It's just some of the silly things that um, slow you down sometimes that would be nice to fix, but it's just, we're just starting to scratch the surface on this, you know? And I think one thing for marketers to understand is I've talked to a few folks who say, oh, I'm so far behind. I don't understand AI. And I'm like, if you're thinking about AI, you're not behind. You're actually probably a little bit ahead. So while there are some companies that are doing some huge things right now, the majority are just are just starting are just getting started. And can you explain the difference between a very specific AI like uh, something that helps with copywriting or any of the examples you mentioned versus a generalized AI that maybe is more theatrical. You know, the thing that movies reference when they talk about AI, it's a little bit different. Um, so how do, what is the difference between those two? How do they differ functionally? Well, one, I think the ones, you know, that you talked about in the first instance are things that are very tangible that we're, that we're using and seeing right now, like helping with copywriting, helping with data, helping with, even creative. I don't know if you've seen Dolly, uh, like like Wally, the you know the animated film, but it but it's D A L L hyphen E, and it's it was produced by OpenAI. And what they do is you could type in um, a man sitting on the beach, you know, working on his computer doing this, and it will generate an image. So it's I mean it's just a that's kind of movieish, you know, um, where this just but anyway, I think the that's also, but it's really tangible too. You, you know, you can type in, it's in beta right now, but you can type in some things and this image will be generated. And that's like amazing that it can do that. But I think some of the movie things are just so out there um, and probably aren't, I don't know, maybe, maybe they're, maybe they're real. Maybe that's something that we just haven't seen yet or used yet. But I think a lot of the marketing and marketing things, you know, here's a technology, here's what I need it to do. And here's look. Here's what it could output, versus just the what Hollywood makes AI look like. And I think a, I think a little bit that you know the movies are the ones that are scaring marketers away from saying I don't want to touch that. You know I don't want that in my lives, that my privacy. Um, I, it's going. I'm going to lose human connection. Things like that. 
Um, I think like anything, it's what you make of it. And when you know that, you know, okay, I don't need technology for this. I want to do this on my own. But um, yeah, the movies, the movies just have a way of always positioning things a little bit differently than, than reality. Did you hear about the Google employee who was fired for releasing the transcripts with their AI? Yes. What's your take on that? Um, I don't think that, uh, I don't think a computer can understand. I don't, I think that, um, I don't think that'll ever be the case. So I, I don't, I don't agree with or believe his, I believe what he believes. I believe he believes what he believes, but I don't think it's true. Um, so yeah, we, we touched, we talked about that, uh, recently, uh, as a team and, you know, I don't think a computer can be sentient. And is that not yet or not ever? I don't think ever. I really don't. You know, I actually read a book. What was it called? It was called Clara and the Sun. And there were, there was a little bit of that in this book where they taught this computer basically came to life. And I think the point of the book was that computers are becoming more human and humans are becoming more computer, computer, like, you know, with our phones and our faces and things like that. But no, I don't think, I don't think computers will ever replace humans um, in a physical sense or in a, um, you know, in a emotional sense. But I think computers are getting good at understanding, being able to read emotion in text or in videos. And again, when I talked about a computer trying to analyze all this data that we just, at a speed that humans can't, I think that's something, you know, human are, computers are able to read emotion, read sentiment, read context, read, you know, things like that, that we can too, but maybe there, a computer might catch a nuance that we, that we aren't just because of human error. So it's, it's kind of, you can go on this rabbit hole of, of a lot of these things, but again, it's just learning and asking questions and having discussions has helped us a lot in our, in our company. Yeah. That's really interesting. I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, Kathy. This has been great. Yeah, this was fun. Awesome. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on and talking, nerding out on AI stuff. (laughs) It was great. And thanks everyone for listening. We'll talk to you soon.